Uh, anyways, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to 1 John. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12 is where we're going to be spending our time together. Let me read it for us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Apologize if you actually care about what was being read, but I think that's how we, or at least how I approach this text this week, right? We hear something about love and we're like, yada, 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 love, love, love. We heard this already. No, we, like actually we've heard this. This is this is the third lengthy section in 1 John on love. John will use the word love in 1 John more than 30 times in his gospel, which I also happen to be reading in my personal devotion. He speaks about love more than 50 times, and so we get it. It's, it's another sermon on love. It's, sorry, but it's boring. So I came to this passage this week really just wanting to get through it. Or at least if I had to preach on love, I was going to try to find some interesting new idea so that really you don't check out like I wanted to. Tuesday this week, as I'm trying to come up with some brand new way to speak about love, really frustrated, frustrated nothing's coming to me, frustrated on my sermon prep, frustrated that... I'm not preaching on some other passage, come out of my office, frustrated at my kids, frustrated at the mess in my house, just, just feeling so done. And then, of course, it's community group on Tuesday night for us, and so don't want to be there, just want to check out. And then at community group, someone actually shares, shares an answer to a prayer request. And as they're sharing the way God has acted in their life and answered his prayer and, and listened to them, I see the joy on their face. And all of a sudden, I'm struck. God is love. It's not something I had been believing. Or better, it's actually not something I had been feeling. And so actually, my approach to this sermon changed. Deep down in my heart, surrounded by a layer of intellectualism, chained in a box, you know, surrounded by barbed wire of insecurities and fear, is this little part of me that is my feely side. And so this morning, I want to actually unlock that feeling of love. I don't want to analyze love. I want to personalize love. I don't want something... I don't want us to make love interesting. I want to make love real. Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the most brilliant American minds, who was this most brilliant theologian, he said this. He said, there is such love in the heart of God that if you understood 
the length and breadth and height and depth of love, you would never be discouraged. And so that's my hope. That's my prayer. God, help us to understand, not intellectually, but deep down in our hearts, Lord, that you actually love us. So let me actually read our Bible passage again. Listen anew for the first time. Hear of God's love again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I have three points this morning. The source of love, the display of love, and thirdly, the goal of love. But I don't actually care if you remember any of those points. My points could have been one love, two love, three love. Just feel the love of God this morning. Firstly, the source of love. Look at verses seven and eight again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John begins by encouraging his congregation to love one another. But before we begin to think that this is something I need to conjure up, this is something I need to will within myself, John says, hold on. Love is from God. Let us love, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Something happens when we come to put our faith in Jesus. The Bible calls this regeneration or new birth. See, no longer do we have our former identity as a child of the devil. We no longer stand on the heads of others in order to prop ourselves up. Actually, no, it's as though we go back into the womb and we come out with a new identity. We're changed. Our nature is different. Our nature begins to resemble that of God. God's life becomes our life. God's love becomes our love. See, what this means is that our love is not merely imitation, it's emanation. Our love for one another is not merely imitation, it's emanation. It's not that now I look at God, I realize how different I am, and so I try to change within myself. It's not that I'm, I'm 
forcing myself to love the way he loves. No, actually what the Bible says is I'm a new person and that God's spirit is in me and so out of me comes his love. I love with his love. Let us love is as much a command as it is a promise. It's God's promise to us. We'll come back to this at the end. But for now, Christ City, know that we are to love and we can love because God is in us and God loves us. God is love. Just think about what that actually means for a second. God is love. I think the first thing to note is that God is love is not the entire revelation about God. There are actually four God is statements in the Bible. God is spirit. God is light. God is consuming fire. And God is love. God is spirit, so he is free from the limitations of time and space. He's eternally the same. Our God is not a fickle God. He does not change the way he acts towards you, depending on which side of the bed he woke up on. God is light. He is holy, and he is without sin. He is perfect, and his light causes him to expose sin. God is consuming fire. He not only exposes sin, he is opposed to sin. He destroys it. And so God is also love. And so when God acts, God acts with his whole nature towards you. See, my fear is that in our society, we are actually okay with God being love so long as that is all God is. We are okay with God being loved because that means I can act however I want to act and God isn't really going to be upset with me because, well, God loves me. We're okay with God being love as long as it's based on our definition of love. But the reality is God will be God. God will be his entire self all the time. Far from condoning sin, he will expose it because he is light. He will seek to consume sin and put an end to it because he is fire. He will never stop hating sin because he is spirit, but he will do it all the while saving the sinner because he is love. God is love is not the whole picture of God. He is more than love. But secondly, God is not less than love. Whenever God acts, he acts out of love. For God to stop loving would be for God to cease to exist. Everything God does, everything God is, is an act of love. It's ultimately for our good. It's for our ultimate joy, our ultimate happiness, our ultimate delight. One writer once said, this is true love, to do the best for them we can, 
to do the best for them we can. What God does for those he loves is his best. And his best is omnipotence. God is love means God is love. You get the power of God in his love towards you. For God to say he is love is for him to say you get all of me. You get all of me. Thomas Brooks, a English Puritan, wrote this. That is as if he said, you shall have as true an interest in all my attributes for your own good as they are mine for my own glory. My grace, saith God, shall be yours to pardon you. My power shall be yours to protect you. My wisdom shall be yours to direct you. And my goodness shall be yours to relieve you. And my mercy shall be yours to supply you. And my glory shall be yours to crown you. This is a comprehensive promise. For God to be our God it includes all. This is what this means then. At 2 a.m. when your child has been up for the third time already, God loves you. When you're struggling with your identity at work or you lose your job, God loves you. When your spouse disappoints you, God loves you. When you disappoint your spouse, God loves you. When you disappoint your spouse and you feel like you didn't even do anything wrong, God loves you. When you can't afford a home and you feel like you're running out of space, God loves you. When life is pulling you in every direction and you're exhausted and you feel like you're just done, God loves you. And I'm not trying to make light of any of this. It feels like I've gone through all of this, some very recently. I'm just trying to say that when you get God's love, you get all of him. You get his power, wisdom, and grace. You know, they say that we don't understand or we haven't yet explored 86.3% of our ocean. I have no idea if that's true, but that's what they always say, right? Like some, there's some massive amount of our ocean that we have no idea what is in there. Well, Jonathan Edwards said that God's love is an ocean without bottom or shore. God's love is an ocean without bottom or shore. There will never cease to be a time where we are not blown away, overwhelmed, surprised anew with how God loves us. His love for you will never run dry. Christ City, God is love and God loves you. God is the source of love. Secondly, God displays his love. Look at verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved, not that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
God says he loves me, but then how do I know it, right? Well, John says it's because God showed it. He did something in history. Love is a doing word. John writes, in this, the love of God was manifest. It's, it's brought into the light. It's put on display. It's, it's made clear. How did God do that? How did he put it on display? He put it on display by sending his son. But that's actually not what it says. It says God sent his only son. Greatness of love is often measured by how much it gives. We're told God gave his only son. If you uh, are old school and you have a King James version, the word reads his only begotten son. But who knows what that means, right? That word only is the Greek word monogenes. It has this idea of uniqueness, of being special. It's, it's one of a kind. There's none like him. He, he's the crown jewel. That word, monogenes, is used elsewhere in the Bible to speak of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham always wanted a son. He's desperate to have a son. God had made a promise to him to have a son, but he was too old. And so God had to do actually a miracle. God miraculously gave him a son and he became his prized possession. He loved him more than anything else. And yet God asked him to give up his only son. Over Easter, I was trying to explain this concept to our girls. And let me just say it was hard. <laughs> We're sitting around the dinner table. They're both wanting to bring their dolls to the table, and I try to explain to them how much Jesus loved them. And so I told them, what if you loved someone so much you gave away your Barbie to love them? I know, it's stupid, okay? I said it was, it was hard. But I think the reason it's hard to explain to our children what it's like for God to give his only son is because it's hard for us adults to wrap our mind around this. I mean, we might say as adults, imagine you gave up your own life. That would be closer to the truth. But it's still not the whole way there. Right? I can imagine giving up my life for my wife or my kids. But that's not what it says again. It's rather, imagine you gave up your wife's life. You gave up your spouse's life. You gave up your children's lives for someone else. Take that and add infinite more worth. Because God had been with his only son. His son of pure delight for all eternity. They had never disappointed one another. Their love for each other was perfect. Jesus was the Father's most proud thing. See, if we said that God gave the world to his only son, that would make total sense. But the Bible says something scandalous. It says God gave his only son to the world. 
But that's still not the full extent of his love. Look, look at verse 10 again. It says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. John's point is that God did not meet us halfway. God did not wait until we cleaned up our act. God did not wait until we gathered up a little strength. God did not wait until we recognized our need for him. No, God loved us while we were opposed to him. God took the initiative. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Romans 5, verse 8, it says, while we were still sinners, while we were sinning against God, Christ died for us. One Bible writer trying to wrap his head around this idea said this, Christ went down into death. Voluntary endurance of unutterable anguish while we applauded. It's like Jesus was laying there on the cross and I'm nailing pegs into his hands and I'm clapping. We killed God. We're cheering ourselves on while we nail our Savior to a tree. Knowing we would kill him, he loved us. While we were killing him, he loved us. And after we killed him, he loved us. See, God loves those who the world would think are unlovable. Our love is often stirred up, it's ignited, by something in the beloved. The beloved does something to make us want to love them. But God's love is free. It's spontaneous. He loves because he loves. That's the only way to explain it. God sent his only son for his enemies. Verse 10 continues, to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God's gift of his son's death is not just a symbol. It's not just a show of his love. It actually loves us. It actually accomplishes something for us. It's a propitiation. That word propitiation is an unusual word, frankly. We don't use it. It means wrath-bearing sacrifice. To propitiate someone is to appease or pacify their anger. See, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, we deserve the full force of God's wrath against us. But because God is love, God gives his own son, not just to die, but to bear our own punishment to bear the wrath that rightly was deserved on us. Jesus, as God, endures the wrath that God requires. God suffered the penalty that God should have us pay. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Not that God makes us feel better, not that God makes us happy, but that God took our punishment, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus bore the wrath of God that we should have paid in hell for all eternity. And then he rose from the dead to show us that there is not a drop of his wrath that is left to be paid. He died in our place. It's the great exchange. God is the source of love. God displays his love. And thirdly, God is the goal of love. Look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, or maybe I can say Christ city, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John tells us that we, the church, are tasked, we've been given the mission of showing the world who God is. We become the window through which God shines in the world. That's the purpose of the church. But notice how he says we do this. We don't show the world who God is through miracles. The world doesn't come to see God through incredible, miraculous acts of healing. They don't get to know God through our children's obedience. They don't get to know God through our intellectual brilliance or our our apologetic refutations. They don't get to know God through our wealth, status, or influence. The world sees God when we love, as we serve sacrificially, as we give up ourselves for our enemies. The world comes to see the God who died in their place. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's the thing. I know this, and yet I'm struggling with this. Like, I know it. I know I'm supposed to love, but I'm struggling to love. This week, I think part of my anger, my part of my frustration is that I know I should look different. I'm feeling agitated. I'm feeling impatient. I'm feeling selfish. It's like I don't want to lay down my life. It's like I want what's mine. And I'm knowing I'm not supposed to be this way. And so, God, how come I'm not different? Why am I still struggling with the same old sin? I thought I should be better than this. And so my anger is not just generic anger. It's anger with myself. And so verse 12 became the sweetest verse to me. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and get this, his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. Those words are so crazy. Many translators have struggled to actually communicate what is being said here. 
translators stumble over this phrase, and so they want to translate it, our love for God is perfect when we love one another. But that's not what it says. It says, when we love one another, God's love in us is perfected. If that doesn't blow you away, let me put it negatively. God's love is not perfect. God's love is incomplete. God's love is not finished in me and in you until we are loving others the way he loved us. One commentator put it this way, the circuit, you can think of an electric circuit, the the circuit of God's love is completed when we love. So so this is the good news. This This is what I needed to hear this week, is that God is not done with me. He's not done with you. Our brokenness is not our final condition. God's work on Resurrection Sunday was not his final task. Yes, it is finished in the sense that the future has been paved clear, but his work in you is not complete. It's not complete until he changes you to be like Jesus. God's spirit is in you. He promises to keep working on you so that you will be more like him so that you'll love like him. God has voluntarily and inexplicably connected his own happiness and his own success on whether or not you love. And so, beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, we ought to love one another is God's promise to us. So let me finish with a profound conclusion. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Father, we can hear these words and yet we still struggle to believe them. We still struggle to feel them. And so I pray, Lord, make this real in us. Lord, help us to be overwhelmed, blown away by your majesty in the gift of your son, Jesus. Father, we confess we are selfish. We struggle to love the way you loved us. So help us, Lord. Finish, complete, perfect what you started so that the world would come to know you as you are. It's for your glory, Lord, we pray these things. Amen.